Pulp-MX Network Production. Pulp-MX fans, we're 550-plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp-MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mackles Show. Presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. Getting tons of listens of these, and people are really enjoying them in the offseason, and uh I like doing them, so of course uh, we'll keep it up. BTOsports.com. When you go to check out there, use the code PulpMX. You can save yourself money when you check out. Anything you need for your bike or body, BTOsports.com has it. OEM parts now, and uh, they've got all the latest and greatest stuff, including Fox Racing, Foxhead.com. Visit your local authorized Fox dealer. Flex Air uh, 2016 stuff out now. Rocks and Dungey, some of the guys that wear it. The global innovation leader in motocross racewear, Fox Racing. Check them out. All right, everybody. Thanks again. Thanks to BTO, and uh, thanks to you for listening. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, a, a real pioneer in the sport, a man who's uh, built up a company, sold it, still involved today in, in the sport, has a cool, cool museum that I wish everybody could go check out at one point, and uh, still involved with Glen Helen and, and Bud Felkamp and all that, uh, a real uh, top-notch guy. Tom White, what's going on, Tom? How are you? I'm doing great, Steve, and thank you very much for uh, putting me on your podcast and love yeah. to talk to our, our friends that uh, love moto just like you and I do. People may not know your name, Tom White. They should, but if they don't, they definitely know White Brothers. There's no doubt about that. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but White Brothers, a huge distributor uh, throughout the 80s, maybe the 70s even, I'm not sure, 80s and 90s and, uh, and uh, even into the 2000s. At one point, what would you say, Tom, your business was? What, how much money were you doing a year in sales? Uh, the time I sold the company, we were about a $40 million a year company. We had a yeah. warehouse in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, our biggest warehouse was here in Yorba Linda, California. We had two manufacturing facilities, one that made our exhaust systems. And also, crazy as it may seem, we were actually also in the mountain bike uh, bicycle fork business. We made seven different wow. models of forks. Yeah. We followed the Norba, all the Norba races and had a lot of racers we supported. And we made a, uh, a small fortune in the bicycle business. Unfortunately, we started with a, a, a big fortune. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works, right? <laughs> that's how it works. Um, yeah. Your museum, you've got uh, a Tom White's Moto Museum. I've been there a couple times for a few different intros. And I'm guessing it just started off with you saying, hey, that's a cool bike. I'd like to buy that and put it in my garage. And then... Uh, and another one came, and another one came. Uh, talk about the genesis of starting up this little museum you've got with, uh, geez, uh, I don't know how many bikes, but just, just some epic machines in there. Well, Steve, I'm glad to, actually. the um, uh, It's called the Early Years of Motocross Museum. I've actually trademarked the name, and the ultimate goal is, is uh, you know, the work I do as a, a vintage editor with, like, Motocross Action Magazine mm-hmm. and a contributor to others is really, you know, working toward that ultimate goal of, of doing a book. And the book will be called The Early Years of Motocross in America. But but the way it all started, it was <laughs> Brett, 
my son Brad, he's now 37. Unfortunately, he's handicapped, and, and we'll talk about that later. But he was, uh, I want to think he was about six years old at the time. We were out mm-hmm. at Paris Raceway racing, you know, the, the stuff that was new back in 84. And uh, the guy was out there with a pickup truck, and he had this old Greaves. Uh, I believe it was a 64 model in the back of the, of the pickup truck. So Brad goes over and checks this bike out. Mm-hmm. Mind you, he's six years old and sees this Greaves, and it's got a sign on it, for sale, 250 bucks. And Brad drags me over and goes, Dad, we should get that bike, and we could restore it together. And, boy, did we have a fun adventure with that. We bought that one bike, and yeah. I got a great picture that I love to share with people that shows uh, uh, we had just washed the bike, and Brad's sitting on it in a stand in front of my house the next day. And we ended up buying three Greaves, took them, took them all apart, and then uh, we never quite got them together and, and then found <laughs> a friend that had actually worked for me, a White Brothers R&D guy that started his own business. And I go, how would you like your first project to be to restore this bike for me? And uh, it started with one Greaves, and it's, it's a great bike in my collection. Yeah. It's a 19, now it's kind of evolved to be. It's a 1967 Greaves MX24B 250 Challenger. Really cool bike. Yeah. Is there, uh, well, obviously, that being that being the first one, is there another few that stand out for you that, that are ultra-rare or, or ones that you're really proud of finding and, and restoring? Well, I, I'll point out that the collection, my total bike collection now is 175 motorcycles, so it, it's gone way beyond a collection. It's a complete and total addiction. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> but I would, uh, the, the, the bikes, the Greaves are still very special. I uh, recently... Uh, built a 67 Greaves 360 Challenger mm-hmm. with a friend of mine, uh, Rick Dowdy's help at Vintage Iron. And uh, I work, as a matter of fact, I work with several really great restorers. But I, I like the Greaves, but probably the bike that, I, uh, I, you know, if I had to have one in my collection, the, in, um, in 1967, Suzuki built a factory bike called the RH67. Mm-hmm. And they were racing in Europe on this, and, and it really wasn't very good, but they decided to go in production. They made about 100 bikes. And when they imported them in the U.S. in, in 1968, riders like Preston Petty, Walt Axtell, mm-hmm. Gary Conrad, those were the riders selected to ride the bike. And I've got two of them. And again, they were like, you know, really limited production. But that is the first Japanese motocross bike. And between myself and a couple other friends, you know, I've got two. Another friend of mine has three. Uh, Chris Carter of mm-hmm. Motion Pro has like four. But we, we, we think those are, are really collectible. And not to mention, we think they're a good investment. Yeah. Yeah, really, right? Uh, at the end of the day, yeah. that, that, that's also, too, what they are. you got a good point. I uh, I picked up a 1990. I'm a little younger than you, but I, I picked up a 1990 Cowie 250, mm-hmm. which is a bike I always wanted to own when I was a kid, never got to do it. So I restored it and um, went through it and uh, sold it. I didn't really want to sell it, but a guy offered me a lot of money, so I, I sold it. And then uh, I was like, oh, that was fun. That was kind of fun. Got me out behind the laptop, got me into a garage. Again, you know, I was a mechanic for a long time. And... I did that, and then uh, another guy sent me a, an 88YZ250, and that's basically done. I'm starting to get this <laughs> habit going where I'm like, you know what? Uh, maybe I like doing this. Maybe I like restoring these bikes. You know, it's expensive, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of get it. I like it. Well, you know, I had both of those bikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure you do. Yeah. You're, you're preaching to the choir here when you talk about those bikes. But, but the, the, the deal is, uh, with my museum, the main focus is really the very – uh, late 50s, 
uh, focus real hard on the 60s, mm-hmm. and I go in about about 75, 76. Yep. Once the suspension travel comes uh, came up, I lose a little bit of interest. And the reason, A, it's because of my age. Uh, I, I'm, I'm 66 years of age, graduated from high school in 67. But I think all of us, mm-hmm. and yourself included, we look back to those bikes when we first fell in love with motorcycles, and, and maybe they're bikes that we rode, or maybe they're yeah. bikes that we thought, wow, I'd really like to have that. Yeah. So uh, I've got some more recent bikes in the collection here. I've actually got uh, uh, the, uh, the 1992 uh, the Mike Krodowski 125 National Championship putting bike yeah, in here. Yeah, Very do. cool. And, uh, you know, I may you have go? Is that Glover's bike you, coming here. Do you have Glover's bike, or is that just a replica? I do. Well, the bike I have from Brock uh, in 1985 when he won the uh, AMA 500cc National Championship on what maybe people would consider was was about as unstate of art and right. really a bike that shouldn't have been competitive, but Brock was that good. He won on, on the Yamaha. Mm-hmm. And so um, Yamaha as a present gave him a brand new 1985 YZ490. And uh, Brock <laughs> Brock said, hey, Tom, would you like to have it in the museum? That's a terrible present. Let me give you the bike that sucks crap that you barely, you know, that you somehow managed to win. They oh, should... it's brand new, too. It's beautiful. Uh, it really is. And, you know, we hey, sometimes the the most collectible bikes are the real, are kind of the POSs from yeah, back in the day. Yeah, no, you got a point. You're right. The, yeah. So, the Glover, yeah. Glover beating Bailey on his factory Honda, you know, 85 Honda, that's an incredible story. Yeah, amazing story. It's, 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 it's fun to hear. But, you know, the guy, and that was a terrific time for motocross. I mean, it, all times are a great time, but that was a great time. There was yeah. really you know, some just fabulous riders and, you know, different personalities. Sure. But, you know, I'm just going to just a quick comment about, if you will, the 60s and the 70s yeah. bikes. Each manufacturer had a completely unique idea of what was going to work best on the track, what was going to appeal to the customers. So the finish is completely different. I mean, yeah. tacos, the Spanish stuff used a lot of fiberglass. Obviously, the Husqvarna's, uh, you know, aluminum, steel, and chrome, yeah. real pretty. The Mako's, you know, look, you know, like kind of like, and the Grease were kind of like farm tractors. Mm-hmm. And, and but they had, and, you know, some had. Uh, you know, conventional forks. Other had, you know, the Earl's type of forks, leading link forks. Mm-hmm. So they're really unique, and and that's part of the attraction. Is when you look across the museum, just looking how different they all are. Whereas you compare that to the modern motocross bike, and you know, the reality of it is, if we change the plastic uh, to you know UFO or right. or a polysport or one of those, you can't tell the difference uh, between the bikes. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It, it, back then was it was a different time, and even even in the 80s a little bit too. They still were different. They still tried some different things, but. Nowadays, not so much. Um, you, uh, a lot of people can hear you at uh, the Glen Helen at the USGP, the Nationals, announcing uh, working with Glen Helen. You're, you, Bud Feldkamp, the owner of Glen Helen, yourself go way back. Uh, I spoke to you uh, a couple times about it. I did a couple stories on it. I guess um, uh, number one thing, Glen Helen and MX Sports got into a bit of a feud with the with the Nationals. You helped uh, with some other people. You helped trying to get it back on track because I think. When the National left Glen Helen, I don't think MX Sports was really pumped about what they had to do with Paula and Elsinore, and I don't think Bud and the Glen Helen people were very excited with the GP that they had there and, and no National for a number of years. They really needed each other, and I think you uh, really realized this, and there were some harsh feelings between the two sides, but uh, you know it worked out in the end. But um, it, it, the, the National needs to be back at Glen Helen, and it came back, and we're all good now. But uh, yeah. you, had, you, had a, you had a nice role in that. 
from what I understand. Well, well, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad to talk about it. And uh, I had, uh, I for years have worked um, uh, with uh, Bud and Lori uh, on back when we were the AMA Nationals and, and mm-hmm. when they had what they was called the NPG, the National Promoters Group. I would meet uh, with that group. And then if you remember, when the AMA sold the rights to uh, to, to racing, mm-hmm. uh, they first sold it to DMG Group. Or is that, is that it? DMG? Yeah. And so with them, and then and then uh, the Coombs family. God bless them. They bought the rights to uh, the Outdoor Nationals, and I, I believe I, I I have so much respect for that family and what they've done for uh, racing. Period. Mm-hmm. Dirt, especially dirt biking, obviously. But yeah. whether it's ATV, motorcycles, with the Amateur Nationals, the GNCC, uh, the uh, MX Sport, they've they've done so much. Well, what what uh, really. Um, happened is is they bought the rights and they had every single right to 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 run it the way they wanted to you also talk it was right at the period of time when bud uh the tragic tragic uh uh plane crash the pilotus that he owned the, the pilot was buddy summerfield i'd flown in the plane several times it was right about the time of the plane crash and bud lost uh, his two daughters uh, four grandsons you know the entire yeah. families were it was you know, heartbreaking and the first meeting we had, the tone uh, of the meeting was, you know, the Davy and them taking over the nationals, and Bud comes in and, and he's he's you know, he he a he does not understand why you know everything's changed that much, right. and 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 the tone it, it got, uh, you know, he wanted to tell them how it was going to run, and they didn't want to hear it. <laughs> right. And, and that 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 started that started part of the problem. Mm-hmm. And then when we had our, our that event there, I think with the um, Davy and, and if you talk to Davy and Carrie and some of them, I think coming to the West Coast there was all always this thing that went back to even their dad. You know, it's like a it's like a different planet, like coming to a different country, coming right. out to California. Sure. So I think they came here, uh, you know, shall we say, locked and loaded, mm-hmm. ready for for some confrontations. And and we have our own unique personalities out at Glen Helen, and it it, it just went real bad there in in uh, 2000. I think it was 2009. Yep. And it didn't go well. And then uh, they um, <clears throat> going forward. They uh, they wanted a they wanted a new contracts with all the owners and I guess they had the right to sure uh, because now they're the sanctioning group and the and the one thing the, the biggest stickling point is they only wanted to give Glen Hill in a one year contract mm-hmm. and that was because they had had you know they had a bunch of issues and so I I, I was kind of the arbitrator there really trying to work <laughs> Mitch Payton got a little bit involved with it but we're trying to work between. Uh, Bud, who's you know, he very much has his ideas how yeah. how he wants his facility and track used, and, and very proud that Glen Hillen had been a part of the MA Nationals for 17 years. Mm-hmm. And why why is this this you know people that just bought the sport coming in and and, and only offer him a one year contract? Yeah. So I could understand that. I also understood on the other side how they how they uh, MX Sports and the Coombs were feeling, and you know Kerry Coombs. Very businesswoman like, but you know she's, uh, uh, and I'd say it right to her face. I love her, but she's hard headed. Bud's hard headed, and 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 I, I think if we could have had the ladies, Lori and <laughs> Carrie work yeah. it all out, it had all been good. Right. But ultimately, it, we got you know close to one. You know the national was on the schedule, and yeah. Bud says no. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going. I'm not going to host it, and it all fell apart. You're like what? Wait, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, no, it just and it didn't work out. So I like the next phone call. I don't. I don't. I think the phone happened to ring very, uh, for whatever reason, and it was Giuseppe Luongo wanted to put a GP on here. Mm-hmm. So uh, and as you know, the uh, I mean, we just had a GP here a few weeks ago, and it was fabulous mm-hmm. in my opinion. But the challenge has always been, you know, to get the U.S. riders to come out and compete because God knows what. You know, 17 supercrosses and 12 outdoors, plus, you know, rhythm section, straight rhythm section and Monster Cup. Yeah. And all that. I mean, God, somebody give me a break. Yeah. So I understand that. But uh, but nevertheless, you know, we had the GPs. They didn't they didn't really work well. And, and then we all saw that uh, the business with Paula wasn't good. The business with Elsinore wasn't good. Yeah. I mean, there was there was issues way beyond just, pardon the expression, shitty track yeah oh yeah other, yeah there was way way other issues and all and and the whole time though uh i kept a dialogue and got really got to understand what the coombs did with their race i would never been to loretta lynn's mm-hmm. so i went back there got to see firsthand i mean they treated me like gold and because i've i've always liked them and i think they like me too mm-hmm. and uh got to see how they the operation and just more and more respect and so it started with just a dialogue, you know, with, with Davey about, well, you know, I, yeah. I, I think some things have changed and some attitudes have changed, and we would really like to talk about getting it back. And, and, and you know, there, nobody can convince me there's another facility in Southern California that, that's like right now. There's nothing like it. No, there's, no, absolutely not. It, it is not. a premier facility. It's the Disneyland of motocross, and it is where the Southern California Nationals should be. And I believe, you know, with the OEM base that we have here, they're all here. The magazines, pretty much all of them are here. Uh, a, a large portion of the aftermarket, it's absolutely, and not to mention the riders, it's a so sad to not have a kick-butt national here in Southern California. So with that overriding to- tone, I, I, uh, Lori kind of said that, well, Bud's really kind of willing to look at it again. And, mm-hmm. and i got to say, it was a struggle because <laughs> there was still uh, bruised egos and sure. all that. And yeah. it, it, I felt like a, a mediator where they, the, the Coombs family, they, they talked to me, and then I presented to Lori and Bud. And, and, and all. <laughs> but ultimately, I think uh, the, everybody put on their big boy pants and said, you know what? This needs to happen. And the first year, a little rocky. Uh, and just even some of our staff mm-hmm. not getting it. Right. You know, that, hey, this, that, they're in charge. You may have a personal grudge against an in, a given individual, but that person's in charge. So if you want to be a part of our group here, yeah. you shut up, you do what you're supposed to do, and get it done. And uh, so, well, that's... thankfully, thankfully, it's back because yeah, yeah. They, they both yeah. needed each other. You know, they did, they did, the... and, and the sport needs it. So I'm, I'm really happy about it. I'm just getting ready to go with Lori. We're going to have uh, a meeting in Vegas on uh, on, on Thursday with uh, the, all the other national promoters. I'm oh, excited. nice. Yeah, yeah, we're we're pumped. Yeah, yeah the so and, and the... better, bigger, and better, and and. Uh, and the scheduling of the USGP was better for you guys. The rider, U.S. American rider turnout was better. Uh, it wasn't a national, per se, um, no. interest slash attendance slash all that, but it was much, much, much better than the two GPs held previously there in uh, 10 and 11. So um, I think that was a, you know, I don't know if it was a huge, massive success, but it was a, it was a fine race. It was good. Yeah, so. I agree. 
Yeah, we were we were uh, the uh, the overall sense is is there were more spectators than we uh, expected. Um, uh, yeah, I think the, so too. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it was good, it, but it was a, it was an event. I mean, it might not have had as many as the uh, outdoor national, but even Davey came in and he he agreed. It was, it was cool. It yeah. was really neat. Yep. And and I I think we've really got something that, that we can build on. I think it's important. Uh, everybody got a chance to see the MXGP world, uh, you know, world champion Roman Febra. Find out he's the real deal. Mm-hmm. I think it was really good to get, uh, you know, Nelson and McElrath out there and show the 250 guys. Hey, we got some boys that uh, they might not have uh, been at the very top of mm-hmm. the uh, uh, 250 class, but they're fast. And and I I just think. That motocross, it just needs to get better and better. And I think also the GP stars got to realize, you know, maybe some of the tracks they've been riding on uh, need to get better because Glen Helen was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. The people they were pretty pumped on it for sure. The uh, uh, and the, the motocross nations coming there too, 2017. So that's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we're we're scared. <laughs> <laughs> they, I didn't go to, to Ernie, uh, but uh, Lori and they all went. Yeah, and then we've seen it, and and we're going. Oh my God! <laughs> it, a, 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 a the French fans. I don't think there's anything like them in the world. I mean, no, they, they're no. they're standing shoulder to shoulder, all that. And they're no place, and and they're just so excited, and they behave well, and you know, it's, wow. And we're we're expecting just a, a huge, huge crowd. Sure. Uh, I'm going. Uh, we're all going to Italy next year uh-huh. to check that out. But yeah, we want to be ready, and we and it's going to be. I I think it could be. The the race of the century. Yeah, uh, the, the one thing about the, the American MXDNs, there's just too many lawyers in America to let what happens uh, go on over there, over here. <laughs> Chainsaws <laughs> and uh, drinking and, you know, everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah uh, no, it's they're insane. They're nuts, aren't they? They're crazy. Um, no. Working with Glenn Helen, obviously, um, I think one of the more polarizing guys uh, in the motocross industry is Jody Weisel, the uh, editor of Motocross Action, and a man I'm sure you know well. Oh, yeah. Um, I've I've barely spoken to him. A few times I spoke to him. Um, it hasn't been great. I called him for one of these because I said, "Hey, Jody, you know you've got the man's got an incredible story. He's done a lot of things." And he basically hung the phone up on me. Um, you know, and I said, "Hey, if you're worried about the racer X thing, we can do it away from them because you know they are a competitor." And then at that point, he basically hung the phone up on me. Um, but what's what's Jody like? What, what you know, he doesn't. Doesn't go to a lot of races these days. Very powerful in industries. Certainly run a motocross magazine for, geez, 30 years now. Um, mm-hmm. Still active, you know, at REM and, and racing every weekend. Mm-hmm. A a different guy, a unique guy, and uh, one that a lot of people maybe don't know. Yeah, no, he's, uh, for some people, he's real hard to get to know. When I uh, when I had my white brothers, uh, we we actually became friends early on. It mm-hmm. went back, I want to think, our, our our relationship probably started in '78. Got to know him and uh, in, in a positive way. And uh, you know, I think one of the ways that I grew White Brothers or we grew White Brothers to to be that, mm-hmm. that fairly large company and and we, was an ability to work with all the companies. I mean, we were Pro Circuit distributor, FMF distributor, Boyson, yeah. Twin Air, yeah. WP. And we we had all that stuff going. It's basically because uh, I, I, I I instead of I think. And I, now I'm, it's just self-serving to say this, but I think I kind of got the big picture. Mm-hmm. I go, the big picture is doing things other 
other sports that are easier and safer to do. I mean, let's face it. There is nothing. You got to buy a dirt bike. You got to buy a transporter. You got to buy all the gear. You got to go find a place to ride it. <laughs> yeah. You know, legally and all that. Sure. And then and then and then you're going to go out there, and especially if you race, you're going to take some risks. Mm-hmm. And and so it's it, it's not for everybody. And so you, we got we as a an activity. We need to make motorcycling so cool that once you get that motorcycle and you get involved, that it's like you're in this exclusive cool club. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see motorcyclists waving each other down the road, the street guys, yeah. that, that you don't want to do anything different. And so I got that part. So, um, you know, I could – and that's the way I grew the company. Well, Jody, Jody uh, he – very intelligent man. I mean, you read his articles. He's got a doctor's degree in mm-hmm. gerontology. Is that the study <laughs> of, of getting old? And uh, so, Dr. Cree, his dad, if you read the story in his magazine, his dad never saw him race, okay. never bought into that yeah. at all. So Jody's, you know, Jody's raised you know, like that, and his dad was an, uh, I don't know if it's Army or what, but, but you know, hardcore. Mm-hmm. And so Jody has a tendency to come in and looks at, at it, in, and he, he's positioned the magazine where they test the bikes, and, mm-hmm. and he says exactly what he thinks. I know through the years we had all these suppliers. Uh, one of them stands out, Ted Duvall. Yep. And Duvall, you know, used to call, he says, it, Washington, and literally, man, that guy, he'll never give me the time of day. He writes crap about my stuff and all. And can you fix it? And I go, no, I can't fix it. That's, that's, you know, I don't tell Jody what to do. Yeah, yeah. And none of us tell, tell Jody what to do, and he, he's going to write the way he feels it. I just think I, I, I look at his uh, – that man is brilliant – his ability to write, to put things together and figure it out, mm-hmm. and all. But hell, I had a I had a year where I didn't even talk to him. He told me one time that, that uh, he goes, Tom, you and White Brothers, and you and like Ivan Boyson, you're 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 charging way too much. You're stealing money from your customers. And I'm thinking, dude, you need to come look at my books. Man. Yeah, yeah. We are not making this money, and it just it irritated me. I didn't even want to talk to him for a year. Yeah, wow. And all. Uh, but but what I found is is the guy is very passionate about motocross, and it's kind of like the the way we got him hooked up with um, Bud Felkamp. Yeah. I don't know if, did, did you ever hear that story? No, I don't think so. No, it's kind of a cool story if you got time. Yeah, but, no. But um, it's, it was uh, it was eighteen or nineteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Jody knew Dave Dameron, and they're out there at Glen Helen, and up walks Bud Felkamp, and Jody had never met uh, right. Bud Felkamp, and Dave says a. Uh, uh, Jody, I'd like to introduce you uh, to uh, Bud Fellicamp. Uh, oh, yeah, hi, shakes hand. Right. And so Bud asked him, well, Bud, wh- Jody, what do you think of my track? Uh-huh. And he says, your track is a piece of crap. <laughs> uh, you know, just yeah, yeah. typical Jody. Right. And all. And, and, and then the conversation ended quick. <laughs> and then it was like three or four days later, Bud thought about it. He goes, hmm. I'm going to call that guy. So he calls him up, and he goes, well, Jody, you know, what do you think I should do? Right. And Jody goes, well, you, you know, you, you got it in the sandwich, and you run up and down the sandwich. Well, what about your hills? Use the hills. Go up and down the hills. And so the last 18, 19 years, Jody designs the track. Right. And so I, I just, I guess, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to, to somebody, I, I, I say, you know, you, you, 
I respect him. Just like the Coombs, he should be in the Motorcycle Hall of Fame for all he's done. Mm -hmm. Will he ever get in there? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) He hates the AMA. I don't think they like him either. He actually, they've got kind of an interesting working relationship with with, uh, the Coombs family. Well, or or how about how much how he attacks Ustream over and over and over, and, and worse than anything else. And there he is at Glen Ellen building the track. It's crazy. I, <laughs> I, uh, it was uh, when uh, they were all here. Yeah. Bud invited me that Saturday night of the GP to come to dinner with him, his wife Pam, and Buddy, his son, okay. and me. I'm the fourth Glen Hillen guy, and we've got uh, 16 representatives from Ustream and FIM there, including Giuseppe. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason, I guess Bud wanted to keep me involved in the conversation, mm-hmm. and Jody's name came up. <laughs> and I said to Giuseppe, I said, well, you know, Giuseppe, sometimes you got to look at it this way. It's not whether he's talking good about you or bad about you that he's talking about you. So I guess, and you got to say, he's giving you a lot of print and a lot of talking about the GPs. <laughs> <laughs> you're so, you're trying know. desperately to do something here. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I would say, uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I, right. I, I appreciate it. I, I've had a, a working role with the magazine for the last mm-hmm. seven years where I'm the uh, the vintage editor, yep. and I do the classic iron column, and uh, I, I'm still waiting for my first check to cash from Roland <laughs> for that deal. But, um, yeah, well, look. And, and in uh, a yeah. way, it kind of jays me, like, like uh, uh, not with Racer X. I get along with those guys, but uh, Maeda, he, we're I love the guy, but he hardly talks to me because, you know, I'm that guy because my name's on the motocross. On motocross action, yeah. yeah. Well, look, but, uh, but, yeah. Hey, I, yeah, I'm proud of my association with motocross action. I'm proud of, of my relationship with Racer X, and I'm proud of, and you know, and I love all the motocross magazines. But again, I have that same attitude I had back with White Brothers. It's, it's, hey guys, it's, it's about. There's a whole lot of other things people can do yeah. than motocross. So let's let's find some way to work together and figure out a way to sell more bikes because we're not selling enough bikes, pal. I got to mm-hmm. tell you that right now. Yeah, I've certainly I've certainly poked fun of that Jody on Twitter or, or on my site or you know on these shows that I do um, for things that he's said or done and things I just shake my head at. But on the other hand, you uh, you know you tip your cap to the innovation that he's brought to the sport over thirty years and you know the interesting articles he's written in motocross action for so long and as a writer. It ain't easy every month to come up with original, uh, thought-provoking, intelligent, smart stuff when you're yeah. on deadlines and you have to do it every week. So, you know, uh, like i got to say that about him for sure. But sometimes I just go, oh, wow, okay, all right. And like I said, I liked to interview him one time, and, I, I mean, it was basically, like, I think he thought I was Giuseppe. So, um, Well, you know, and part of that, though, you know, and, and I, I, I would say, Jody, you know, Take off your blinders and and uh, you know go go you know whether go visit some of these events go to some of the other outdoor nationals and and come and and uh, yeah. and, and, and visit some of the different manufacturers on but that's you know that's yeah. not Jody and no. that's just not him and I mean he's not, he's not pushing seventy years old but the, the, the good news though he's got some staffers that uh, the younger guys that, that uh, they're not that way and sure. and uh, so you know. Um. All right, let's uh, let's take a commercial break here on the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing. Listen to this commercial from Racetech. Uh, use code PulpMX2015 to save yourself 10% at Racetech. And uh, we'll be right back here with Tom White. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Race tech people, racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with race tech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, Eh, probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Race Tech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Race Tech, Privateer Proven, they work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Race Tech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com, and they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. And we're back on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Tom White on the line. Uh, interesting story so far. Let's let's get in the time machine and, and go back um, to – your upbringing slash starting White Brothers, you and your brother Dan, um, you started White Brothers. Where'd you grow up, and when did you start White Brothers, and, and why did you start White Brothers? How did that come about? Well, good. You know, I like to talk about that. I like to talk because, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize I was a professional racer. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually worked, um, uh, but my upbringing, basically, my, uh, I think the first time I rode a motorcycle was I was 15 and a half years old, and my brother already owned one, but a guy came by with a Honda 50 and goes, here, you want to ride it around the block? And he showed me how to upshift it, but I don't remember, or I didn't get the memo on how to downshift it and slow it down, so I ran into a parked Cadillac. And that cost my parents 65 bucks, and they, they decided right then that I didn't have the necessary coordination. And, to figure so, it out. You know, yeah. My brother had, you know, he had bikes. But then, you know, I was a surfer, and we used to make fun of him, but finally got a job, and I went, you know, I want a motorcycle. So I kind of got into it, and my brother, you know, tried to teach me how to ride, and, and uh, I, I didn't really have a lot of talent early on. But, but I stuck with it, mm-hmm. and my heroes at the, uh, back then, our, Dan and my heroes, were, were dirt track. Yeah, and that, you know it was. If you think about it, the late '60s, you know, motocross was just coming to America, yeah. and it was. If you wanted to be something, you'd do it in the Grand Nationals. You'd go out and you and you start with dirt, you know, TT scrambles and then flat track, and and you know, once you got to be at the top of the game in like a local pro guy, then you then you actually go get a, a pro license, mm-hmm. and it's very similar to what it is now. Except I want to tell you right now. We sold, back then, we sold 2 million motorcycles a year. Yeah. Motorcycling was way bigger yeah. in the 70s than it is now. Sure. And that's, I think that's something people need to understand. You know, the sport, the professionalism is, is way above it and all that. But it was a big deal. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I, you know, when I turned pro, I was sponsored by Bull Taco, and I was the top novice at Ascot in the TTs as mm-hmm. novice. I was the top junior, and I, I really had uh, the potential. I had a sponsor that could have taken me to where I could have been, you know, maybe one of the, the top guys. And I hope it doesn't sound like I'm bragging, but no, that, yeah. that I, 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 ha- I was that up-and-coming guy. 
and all. But the, but the, the, the thing that, that separated me from the other guys is when I had that opportunity to take a ride, uh, the sponsor that took, like, Gary Scott to the national number mm-hmm. one plate, they wanted to sponsor me that next year. Um, the A, my brother didn't want me to get involved. They wanted us to race as, be able to race as a team. And also, there was a certain thing about we – like to build our own bike, okay? Because it was like you know, it's it's one thing showing up at the track, you know, you're the jockey and the guy, but it's another thing—a whole sense of pride when you actually build the equipment that you race. And when you're talking about specialized flat track bikes, I mean, I built, you know, it was Triumphs in the beginning mm-hmm. when I when I turned a second year pro and then and first year expert or XR750 hearts. We built those things. We built it from the crankshaft all the way up. Huh. We selected the wheels, the frame. Everything and built the bike the way we thought would make it to potential, and and uh, we you learned every aspect of it. You learn from the suspension of the bike, frame geometry of the bike, the motor compression, who's the cylinder head guy, who's the cam guy, who's the piston guy, yeah, and also that was part of it. And, and uh, uh, at that same time, I had I was a professional mechanic, and I had been to Yamaha Mechanic School, Kawasaki Mechanic School. CZ Mechanic School, if that means anything. But I worked uh, for a brilliant man, Bob Maynard, at Orange County Cycle. Okay. And the, you might recognize yeah, that the, name. The Bob Maynard? The man that right. really took the Thor brand and made them, you know, arguably, you know, one of the number one apparel brands in America. Yeah. But when he owned Orange County Cycle, I worked for him from 1969 to 1975. And we were the biggest motocross dealer in the western United States. Oh, sure. wow. We, and we handled every brand. Just to, you, I mean, Yamaha was our base brand, but we handled Husqvarna. Uh-huh. We handled CZ, Jawa, um, uh, Saks, the um, uh, we didn't uh, Mako, Boltaco. Wow. Uh, oh, there's more. AJS. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally every brand you can think of. Uh-huh. And so I work as a mechanic in the back since I was a race. I was I was racing, but never. I hadn't gone full-time pro, right. and it's a good thing I didn't, but I was working on their bikes and porting their cylinder heads, and we had pretty much the, like, Yamaha support team. Yeah. Well, there wasn't, you know, the... Uh, you know the satellite teams back then. Uh-huh. We were we were the satellite shop, <laughs> and I had Bruce Barron, Morris Malone, John Durhammer, Scott, and Mike Gilman. You know, good racers uh-huh. racing out of our shop. So I was porting their cylinders. I was you know when the travel extended on the thing, I was taking and putting the coolers on their conies. And all. Yeah. Steve, you know you're you were mechanic, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, well, so this those was... skills, and then, you know, when Yamaha came out with the Monoshock, I went to the school, learned how to take the thing apart, so I started taking and trying stuff with my riders on the Monoshock, and, and that's how all of a sudden I came up with something. I went, wait a second. Yeah. There's a business opportunity other than being, you know, I was ranked as one of the top 20 in the nation mm-hmm. in their track, and I had won, you know, features and all that, but I was never going to be that top guy. Uh-huh. And and then and and unfortunately had a very lucky crash, and got injured seriously for the second time, and, and right when I started the business, and that probably was a blessing in disguise. So, so. yeah, and, and you realize you had an aptitude for for mechanicing, like you were. You were good yeah. at it. Yeah. You're so, again, we started really with suspension, and, and fortunately, right at that time, uh, late 75, we started, Yamaha comes out with a TT500. 
Uh-huh. So we bought one, and we go, well, that's one thing we know. We sir, I know suspension. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, I was had a working relationship with Wheelsmith Engineering uh-huh. and Greg Smith there. I had another guy, Bob Bogan, a fabricator. So we started right off making pipes, carb kits, we and uh, and then pistons, cams, all all performance parts. And I remember going to our first show in February of '76 at the Houston Astro Hall. Okay. And we sold like 200 pipes at that show. <laughs> and, and, and it came out of that show with a direction for our company. And yeah. uh, we, we, it grew f- to a, over a million dollar a year company in four years. Wow. So, really? That fast, off. huh? Jeez. It was, it was unbelievable. And we had some really great people. And I, I, I don't think, you know, I was the sharpest tool in the shed. But what what I did is I had some good common sense to hire people that were smarter than me uh-huh. and work with with good vendors and and that side. and then taking that same attitude I talked about instead of trying to compete with these other great companies well, back then it was the Protex the Power Rolls yeah. the uh, FMFs the uh, Pro Circuits we found a way to work with them yeah you're like hey let's sell it let's let's distribute it let's yep. let's do that um, and at some point. Um, the the White Brothers kind of starts getting away from well you never really got away from four strokes permanently but because I want to touch on that the White Brothers four stroke national championship you had every year that yep. was that was a pretty cool deal back then when no one thought four strokes would be anything but like a novelty bike really right right, right. Um, where did where did the idea come up for that well we we were we were the four stroke guys from yeah. the start of the TT five hundred. And uh, that that w- well, that was the deal, and then and then we were uh, we actually built our own bike. I don't think people knew that we bought and sold a bike called the Formula Four Floater. Oh, I don't remember that. Most no, e- <laughs> most expensive uh, four stroke ever. They had a cy- cycle guide, or one of them actually did a feature showing them unload the bike from a Brinks truck. Oh. We actually sold them, <laughs> but they had C and J. Uh, Jeff Cole made the frame. We used the for- the floater suspension because I think the early eighties we considered that the best the suspension best thing. out there. It's, what? it's still really a great design the floater and uh, we use a Simon upside down forks the uh, the Rotax uh, uh, yeah I was gonna say track racing engine and all but we we and but the CMC four-stroke nationals it, it, as Stu Peters grew it he, he kind of blended it with all kinds of other stupid things you know vet riders <laughs> and, and, and and just diluted it yeah and we thought and we just said hey wait there needs to be a four-stroke special event yeah and it, and, it, and it because we're the four-stroke guys we got behind it and we worked uh, the first few years out with Paris Raceway and, and had a lot of success growing it and each year we'd hire you know some great riders to ride our bikes for us I mm-hmm. mean we had you know, Warren Reed really did well with it. Brian Myerscoff rode well for us. Jim uh, Ellis rode for us back in the day, and and like Rick Johnson, who's you know a friend of mine. Actually, we're going to be together this next week. But uh, you know, he would ride the Protec bike. But we yeah. every year people really look forward to this event because these these mini factories, us and these other guys, yeah. bring out these super trick bikes. And and the best riders, the top pro riders, were willing to come out and ride this once a year event. Yeah, Honda it, built it, one for the Sheen. Honda stepped oh, up amazing. one year. They did. And, yeah. and Suzuki built one too. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so there was some great bikes, and it was a great time. And and so for us, the big opportunity came in. In uh, obviously, Doug Henry goes out and on uh, the, the the Yamaha, mm-hmm. the, 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 the you know the factory bike, and wins Vegas. And then they put the production bike in, and, and they won the national championship. But, but as 
Yamaha was getting ready, we we talked, and they, and we formed a relationship with Yamaha, where they when they first had their first dealer show in Orlando Beach, Orlando, Florida, mm-hmm. they uh, we had already had a bike for almost a month, and we brought. The, they brought the stock bike to the show and one that we had f- completely modified. You, you had done a bunch totally of things to part- it, yeah. partnered up with Yamaha. It was a great association. And at the same time, they made us their factory satellite team. And uh, so we hired uh, Doug Dubach and uh, Spud Walters to ride the bikes for us. And yeah, Spud which... had already been riding for us back on the Honda, the XR440 yeah. that we made before that. Because there was a, there, there, yeah, there was an East Coast and Four Stroke, uh, East, East and West Four Stroke series going on. Yeah, we competed and won both, right. won both of those, and had a great relationship with Yamaha doing that. And and uh, you know, for for you know, some reasons, when Honda came out with a CRF, we actually jumped ship and and we did that um, with, with Honda. Throughout the eighties, was just White Brothers distribution. Um, you guys got a little away from. The mods, uh, though you still did them. Uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I uh, started to build. Maybe you started noticing, like, hey, we're really making a lot of money, doing a lot of good business with the uh, distribution. Um, how was it to balance those two sides? Where, I mean, you guys were an aftermarket company doing motors, doing suspension, and then you were, you know, distributing. Geez, I mean, every line out there, just about. I don't think you guys did gear really. Did you ever do gear? Or did you? No, stay, we stayed. Stay out of the gear business. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that 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 making a lot of money part <laughs> that didn't happen until near the end. But <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, yeah. nice of you to mention it. But what we what we looked at in our business model became, and uh, our sales staff, everybody said we wanted to be when a guy came into a motorcycle dealership, whether it was a motorcycle, a dirt bike guy, an ATV guy, mm-hmm. we wanted the dealer. We would be their first call. Whatever they're look, the guy's looking for, some trick part, if we didn't have it, we were the encyclopedia and knew where to get it. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do and and as a manufacturer, to be honest with you, we really never started manufacturing, had our own manufacturing facility until 1998. Oh, okay. Never did. All right, all right. So all that growth was basically through uh, through either uh, 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 sole import importations, mm-hmm. manufacturing agreements with different suppliers or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah. we we were just better at trying to pick and find the right trick stuff and, and put it together so the dealer had a full package to offer for his customer. Um, and then where did I always remember two White Brothers, WP uh, the forty fifty four upside down forks that are, that were you know mind blowing mm-hmm. back then. You guys distributed. How did that come about? You were like the the WP guys for a while. Oh, that was so much fun. Uh, fun story. Hank Faust and Wim Peters were the owners of WP, mm-hmm. and I, I want to think it was in nineteen seventy eight. Uh, in, in into our little small shop over there. I think we, we might have been up to. 2,000 or 3,000 square feet, barely. And in walks Franz Munsters, who's the owner of Twin Air and Technomotive Vago in Holland, and this Hank Faust. And he's got these springs for Yamaha Monoshock. Mm-hmm. And back then they used a tapered spring to give a progressive uh, rate. Mm-hmm. And he had a spring that basically uh, allowed a much more progressive rate than the stock spring did. And, and I mean, it... it transformed the performance of the Yamaha Monoshock. And so we bought a hundred of those mm-hmm. from him. That was the first one. And then, uh, and then uh, I, I, for whatever reason, we didn't know how to get a hold of him, but Pierre <laughs> Carsmakers comes in and he's got, he goes, oh, I've got that same spring and it's cheaper. Yeah. And we're going, oh, 
suspension. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But it wasn't painted white. We got spring, and you put on the bike, and you you bounced up and down on the bike two times, and the spring shortened by like an inch. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. wait, yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, we we started looking real hard. Well, our relationship with WP really started to develop. And, uh, you know, where we, we had thought, well, there wouldn't be any kind of a business for an aftermarket shop because, hey, that's, that's yeah. an expensive item. Yeah. Well, the WP on, on a lot of the bikes was significantly better than uh, the, the stock shock. So we, we, we started, uh, you know, really importing the shocks mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, everything from the fork springs to, and took it the ATV route. We took them into Harley, and we had a great, great twenty-some uh, uh, year business with, with with doing that. WP, yeah, and doing yeah, WP, and and uh, you know when KTM bought WP, everything changed. It wasn't a real cool way it changed, but we made up. <laughs> We're friends now. It's yeah, all good. But I. I uh... I ordered a uh, TMV clutch and ignition cover that said Honda Racing. They're basically just ripoffs of the, exactly the ones Honda made from uh, yeah. from you guys. Uh, TMV just killing. Yeah, it we yeah. we finally got a letter uh, from Honda <laughs> that don't do that anymore. Yeah, they they were Palmer. good. Yeah, they were good. They were uh, direct copies, you know. So. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, well, then the deal is in Europe too. Franz was a direct supplier to Honda. And uh, and to this day, I mean, yeah. you know, twin air filters. I mean, they're they're uh, yeah. many of the factory teams sure. all use twin air because, yeah. in my opinion, the best filter out there. And of course, their original equipment on KTM, Husqvarna, and a host of others. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was bronze. Yeah, okay, yeah. And then so you, you like you said, you got into the the the. the four-stroke business came back around on you after holding four-stroke nationals. Yamaha comes out with the bike, um, and you guys get back onto the map a little bit and re- rediscover your roots in the four-strokes, and then Honda comes with you. And how did that happen? Like, Honda, did they just want, you know, you guys were running the Yamaha support team, and you were doing a good job with Spud and Doug and uh, the various races and series and things like that. But the Honda deal was a little bit more, like, you guys got pretty pretty in there early with them. They they come to you? Well, we did, and they did, and that happened about the time I sold the company, actually. Okay. And so a lot of the negotiation was done uh, by Mike Bell with that. Okay. If, if I remember correctly. Yep. And, and, and uh, or it might have been even a little bit before Mike Bell, but uh, they, uh, they, one of the things they offered us is one of their Freightliner trucks, uh, all branded. Yeah. And, you know, and I think we paid a hundred bucks or ten bucks for it. I mean, it was right. like you know part of the whole deal. And the Honda was the new bike coming out, and and we did not want to be known as a one brand company. And it was a great, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was a great relationship. And there was a thing called the Thunderbike Series, I think it was called. Yeah, they raced those inside the stadiums along with the Mickey Thompson trucks. And, yeah, and part pardon my memory, Steve. I'm sure you. No, yeah, no, I think, I think you got it right. But yeah. we did that, and and our riders were Paul Carpenter. At the time, and uh, uh, it was Paul Carpenter and Spud yep. for our riders, and we we did really good. And, and then we had there was the East Coast and the West Coast four stroke nationals, and and between the Yamaha part of it and the Honda part, part, yeah, that's before you know everybody got on on the, the oh yeah uh, or went no. to the dark side. We call the four stroke <laughs> side the dark side, but uh, uh, you know that that was really good business for us. And the- it put us in a solid solid place, and and that's probably one of the reasons that. Uh, this uh, motorsport aftermarket group wanted to buy the company. Yes, yeah, so. let's talk about that a little bit. So you and your brother uh, running White Brothers for you know twenty years, uh, twenty five years. Um, 
I guess this trip this is the triple seven that came to you. Uh, who was the group that, that bought it? No, no, oh. no, no. Mag, the Mag group. Yeah, Sorry, no. the Mag group. Be careful, be careful. Uh, I, I get <laughs> them mixed up. No, I, I, I can't figure. It was a, a, a guy named Dave Rogers. Okay. Who, uh, who many people know. And were you trying to sell it, or were you guys uh, trying to sell it? What was your mindset? I, I, I really wasn't for sale. Okay. The the, the 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 you know I will say though things that drastically changed in my life and and my brother leaving the company that that really wasn't the incentive because in a way it was kind of good that he was able to go do what he wanted to do and that's ride bicycles mm -hmm. and I was able to, to to do what I wanted to do with the company and so that was a good thing but as you know my son got hurt yep and that was a, just a stupid accident on a he's 18 years old senior in high school uh, on an XR 75 that he'd been riding since he's five where he was up uh, late on a Sunday evening. It's getting dark, and we're, we, our four-stroke race is coming up in two weeks, mm -hmm. and he wants to ride the XR75 in the mini class. Right. And he got on this mini bike, and he'd been to this complex, uh, where, wh wh which was going to be our pipe shop, and uh, somebody had put up a chain uh, blocking uh, a huge section that looked like ingress, egress of the parking lot, and it blended in the landscape. He didn't see it. And it clotheslined him, and and uh, it, it, it 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 came about as close to killing him as it could. Yeah, and he completely disabled him. Very sad. Yeah, and if you uh, think about the fact that that chain was six inches lower, or you know, uh, it, like yeah, it shouldn't have been there. Yeah. it shouldn't have been yeah. there. So, so I don't blame that on a motorcycle. I blame that on uh, just people weren't realizing how dangerous a chain like that yeah. could be because it could have happened anyway. But but that 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 changed the entire my entire world. Yeah. And it took me into the darkest place I've ever been in my life. I will say I had some great people at White Brothers. And when this happened, I remember getting this group of people together and I said, guys, gals, because uh, the, there mm -hmm. we had some really wonderful gals, Sherry Ridenauer and my daughter, Kristen. And I said, I'm in the darkest place of my life. And I, I just really need you guys to step up and and i said you can't make any mistakes just do 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 your best and uh -huh. we'll work through it and and they did and, and we turned that company to where we grew that company profit i brought in a, a bean counter a, a man that uh a vietnamese man that had been the cfo at mm -hmm. a 350 million dollar company and he came in for less money but uh i gave I gave him a life, and I treated him good, yeah. and I and I made and incentivized him on bonus. Sure, and he turned the company around to where it got really profitable, and and so we were really we were doing good. But at the same time, as my son, we my wife was the strong one the first year and a half. Mm -hmm. But once it got to a point where he wasn't getting any better, uh, she started to self destruct. Right. And and it's a time yeah. where I'm and and I'm also told that Brad has maybe ten years to live, and I'm going, you know, there's more in life than sitting here. Yeah. And and our nut was $175,000 a day. That was what we needed to do break to break even. And the stress I was living under, Jeez. I, I thought, yeah. you know, they're going to find me in here. Yeah. Head, Face down on this, and that computer, the cursor is just going to be going back and forth <laughs> down the screen. And I go, mm -hmm. and I and I have other things I want to do in life. Yeah, yeah. And so, so now, and but that, but I was happy. We were having fun, but at the same time, the stress. And then all of a sudden, this guy Dave calls me and said, "Hey, I want to bring a a guy with a venture capital firm. He wants to talk to you." Okay. 
And he comes in and he goes, hey, I want to form a group, and, and uh, we would start with your company, and, and we would give you, a, you know, you, 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 you could have, be comfortable the rest of your life, and yeah. we'll give you working capital, and you can really grow this company. And that whole concept was super exciting to me. And, uh, and, and I kind of named a figure, and lo and behold, if we didn't do good enough to make it toward it met their financial criteria, criteria and so the one thing i was smart though well i'm not that smart but i, I was smart on this is i says well i want just a two-year contract because if i'm i i talked to other owners they say everything changes yeah and i didn't want to i didn't want to be saddled to, to something that was going to make me miserable yeah and your brother was already out by this point. You, yeah, he was you, out. He yeah. was out. He was out for several years already. Okay, so and, yeah, and, you were. It was his yeah, own. I was decision. paying him uh, a lot. Okay, and it was. It was. That was a. Uh, that was a heavy financial burden. But he yeah. wanted out. And, yeah, you and, bought him uh, out. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't real friendly. Uh, but he, he wanted out. Right, so he got out. And, so, uh, um, yeah. yeah. So when was okay? So is this around the time when you guys developed the carbon? carbon muffler slash tie system that we used at factory Yamaha, but first Honda factory Honda used, or was this before then? Because I would imagine. No, it's absolutely. Yeah. This was okay. all before because we developed that. And uh, we came out with the first, the, with the new Yamaha introduction, we came out, which was called the E series mm-hmm. and the R series, but that's when we developed that, that whole line of exhaust and it, uh, with the help of Al Olson. Yeah. Alan Olson. Uh, yeah. You know yeah. that man? Oh yeah. We, we at, at our peak, we were putting out of a small 6,300-square-foot shop. We were manufacturing and selling, and it wasn't enough. We couldn't meet demand 5,000 pipes a month. Yeah, it was crazy. They, they, were, they really... Um, it was huge. Well, a couple things come to mind. For one, so you, you, know, you, uh, you sell out for a big number, and you're running the company, but then, in a sense, you deliver this exhaust system. You, know, you and your gang of people, not just you, but you and your gang of people deliver this carbon tie, tie exhaust system that sort of takes over the industry. So yeah. you're justifying, you know, I mean, you're like, hey, look, we're still producing, like like you said, like 5,000 systems a month. Well, that's why they oh. wanted to buy us, that we had this this, yeah. we the, this great success going on. And it was, but it was, and again, it was, I had great people, and I never dreamed that, that by selling the company that any of that was going to change. Never dreamed. Yeah. Yeah, I dreamed that I, I envisioned two years actually running it, but I always thought I'd always be associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the, when it, put, well, I hired the guy I wanted to take over the company and run the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, though, they pushed me to make the decision earlier than I wanted to. Uh, but but I I found out within just a few weeks that uh, that that. Tom, don't kid yourself, Tom. You're not running this company anymore. <laughs> I found everything that out every, really, everything really has changed, huh? Wow! And it just changed. It you changed, know. and and they they Mag had their reasons and, uh-huh. and all, but uh, so, they, uh, they they didn't they it, in in hindsight, and I think even if you talk to the uh, or at least the last CEO of Mag, he would say you know we 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 sure could have done a lot better. Yeah, so it was a great company. I think the company uh, could have continued to to grow. I think it would have grown really well uh, with the people we had involved with it, and and I, I say that because they've gone on to be very successful in in, in what they've done. So, so did you did you make it to two years, or did you bail before that? Uh, they actually asked me to leave um, <laughs> about a month and a half before my two years. Okay, 
uh, and all. They had brought, you know, Mike Bell in to run the company, and and uh, Mike didn't want me around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is there. which is and tough a, for that, that was absolutely a fact. He he wanted to bring in his people and run it his, his way. Right, right, and, right. And also, so and that was he was he uh, you know my choice was Bob Weber of Sixty Helmets. That was the man I hired to run it, and uh, I felt that would have worked. But they yeah. did not believe he was the guy, and that's too bad. Tough to uh, tough to see your job and yeah, tough to see your name on the side of the building and then kind of be like this is not. This is not me anymore, right? It hurt me. It hurt me. Yeah. It really did. It, and, oh, I mean, I can just, seeing it go down, seeing the great people we have, you know, it's like rats fleeing a ship that's sinking. It was, it was really painful, and, and it's just unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the indie show, and I'm having dinner with uh, uh, this some of these new group of people that had been hired and uh, at that time. And I, I, you know, I knew the direction that they wanted to go, and mm-hmm. and, and they wanted to, they wanted to get away from they mag wanted to get away from the distribution model for some good reasons because they had, they had bought uh, Vance and Hines, they had bought Kiriak and mm-hmm. Progressive Suspension, and these the companies had very solid relationships with uh, Parts Unlimited. And Fred Fox is very much a friend of mine. Yeah. Actually, they were distributor partner. And uh, he's a guy I could pick up on the phone and ask any time, any question, uh, and all, and he would help me anything. Real kind of a mentor. So it didn't, so it I didn't, have, it didn't get ugly at all with you never, and uh, parts never. and I really Tucker. respect a man yeah. to this day. And, and the same thing with Tucker Rock. He had a great relationship with those people in Custom Chrome. But at any rate, uh, the, the the as they got these companies, I think uh, parts is going. You know, wait a second. Are you going to take that White Brothers distribution model, and and then with these companies? Let them distribute the product and become a real challenge to us. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and and they they mag saw well no and we're we're not so they tried to back us out of the distribution, and in in hindsight they shouldn't have bought the company, and and all what we weren't yeah. the right fit for. Them. Yeah, it didn't work. But but it just evolved to that. So so I mean I have all the respect in the world for Mag. I stayed employed with them. Actually, they let me go in 2007 and hired me back in 2009, and stayed employed with them till October of last year as a consultant. Uh, just yeah. uh, after the and then left just after they merged with uh, Lacey, which bought which owns Tucker. So I'm I'm a stockholder. I still have significant stock in that group and, right. and a very vested interest in them doing sure. well. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. One thing I've done the I've done these with um, John Gregory, Eddie Cole, Jim Hale, these type of guys, and uh, they, they there is a there is a way to get out before. I guess it, maybe it's timing or, you know, it's business savvy, whatever it is. But those guys struck me as like they knew when it was over, when the ride was over for whatever company they were involved in. Like certain signs came, certain things happened where they were like, okay, it's time to time to get out of here. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I guess that's a skill a little bit. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, uh, I mean, I have all the respect in the world for those guys you just mentioned. My mm-hmm. gosh, I mean, uh, Jim Hale and Eddie Cole, and uh, yeah. and you mentioned John Gregory and all. I mean, all the respect in the world. But uh, and 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 I think I, I'm speaking for Jim Hale, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't know him as well though. From but I know Eddie really well. Mm-hmm. Eddie is driven. By being business, he's an inventor. He, I mean, he, anything he's going to pick up something and he's going to turn it to gold. That's the guy. Right, right. And all, 
and, and he's in love with business. Me, I, I really was in love with motorcycles. <laughs> you liked riding. <laughs> I like to ride. I mean, I like to collect. Right. And, uh, you know, my obviously my daughter's in the business with WUSA. Yeah. And I'm very proud of what she's doing over there. And her and her husband, John Anderson, they're doing a wonderful job. They've got about 70% of the teams running yeah. their wheels that they, 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 uh, they put together. And so sure. I'm real proud of them. My son, Michael, my 29-year-old, He's been he was he's worked for Road Bike Action for five years, so he works in that same office with those MXA guys. Yeah, but, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, you know Zap Espinoza. Yeah, I remember Zap. He's he's Zap's um, his he's, boss. So he's, yeah, Zap's, Zap's Zap's on the motorcycle or bicycle yeah. side now. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's our family. We just I mean it's I, uh, but the business side of it myself, I think I'm I'm really happy kind of working mm-hmm. for. For free. I mean, I yeah. I I did the USGP. I did the movie night at Malkins before that. I did the rider signing, then then saw you at the GP, and the next week I announced the works race. Last Friday night I was the guest speaker at the AMA Congress. Nice. This next yeah. week I'm actually uh, I'm uh, a presenter at the Hall of Fame, and I'm also emceeing the uh, the uh, the reception for the Hall of Fame. So. It's amazing how much work you get when you're willing to work for free, especially if you buy your own. <laughs> yeah, ticket. really, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's a, it's a nice deal. What was uh, what was one product that you sold at White Brothers or distributed for that matter, like whatever distributed or, or made yourself that you just couldn't couldn't make enough of, or, or you know, you made a ton of money on, or was was you sold a ton of units? Is there some something that comes to mind? I mean, obviously we talked about the exhaust, but was there something else that you guys well, just the, the exhaust? For sure, yeah. Because I mean, between uh, Porker Pipes for Harley's, we uh, we um, we had a, actually had a relationship with uh, Daryl Bassani and uh, to make Porker Pipes. We had a uh, an R and D guy, Denny Berg, who's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And Denny came up with this large diameter pipe. <clears throat> and uh, at one time, at least by one magazine survey, Hot Bike Magazine, we were picked as the number one aftermarket Harley exhaust. So, so yeah. uh, and all. So I would say that was good. That was really good. Uh, the E series exhaust system took off, and that whole elliptical, which E-series yeah, you took the discs out of that one, right? You took the discs that, out of that, that one, was right? Huge. Yeah. But I think I think if I want to talk about what was really really fun, it's that we were dirt bike guys, right? Yeah. So you know, we went to in 1988. We or it was yeah, it was late '87. We were at the Anaheim show. And we went there every year and showed our stuff. And to go to the bathroom, uh, maybe because we were drinking too much beer, we had to go a lot. But but we'd have to go through the Harley booth. Okay. And Dan and I saw saw he saw a model he wanted, and and I saw one I wanted. And we go, well, if we have a good year, we're going to go buy ourselves a couple Harleys. Yeah. So so yeah, we had a good year. So instantly, all our employees are going. Man, those guys are really—they're you know, they're making too much money. They got the Harleys, and I think the wives thought that too. We go, no, we're going to make some money on these things. And at that time, it was very popular to lower the soft tails. And the way they were doing it, they're cutting the swing arms uh-huh. to the lower the mount, and then they, the forks—they were actually cutting the fork tubes. But then the, the front tire could come up and crash up into the uh, into the frame. And so we we knew all about suspension, so we came out with lowering kits for Harleys. Okay. And we that was and, and so Custom Chrome calls us, and and they're the big distributor, and they go, okay, we want to we want to distribute them under our name. And my brother was smart enough to say, no, 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 yeah. you can't do that. But if you want to sell them as the White Brothers lowering kit, 
Yeah. And so we, we, we kind of rebranded, got a, a whole different look for the Harley side. We had had a longtime relationship with with Chris Carr. So Chris Carr started running our stickers. And then with WP, in the early 90s, we became the official suspension of the Harley factory team. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so he, they were running our upside down, the what, 4054, is that what they were called? Yeah, forks? that's yeah. those are the motor and ones. The upside yeah. down forks, yep. the, the piggyback shocks. And so these lowering kits, we we ended up uh, setting CCI as a distributor. We set up um, uh, uh, drag specialties. Okay. And we sold. So that's where that's where lowering kits. That's where you just killed it. Those lowering yeah, kits killed yeah. it. <laughs> and and uh, and it was printing money because it was cost of goods was really cheap. Yeah. It was so just that, that. So there, that's it. The. Uh, the motorcycle brothers come up with a motorcycle fix, right? In a way, like a like a garage fix, and you go on to just kill it with this one part. It was, yeah. And what was so fun is is for the Harley market, uh, what we did is every year we'd build a new custom and we'd mm-hmm. take it to Sturgis, and uh, and Sturgis we show a new bike, and and we had fresh thinking. And I remember that first year we went, I went to, and I developed a relationship with Buck Lovell, much like you know. I would say Mitch Payton had with Pro Circuit, where I mean, uh, or Mitch Payton with Jody Weisel, yeah. where you know, obviously you've seen through the years the support there. Well, Buck loved us, uh-huh. and so we went back to Sturgis together, and he's the editor of Hot Bike Magazine, and we take this custom we've just built, and it was it was their brand new '88 Harley Davidson uh, 50th anniversary or 40th anniversary Springer model. Okay, and it. Denny Berg had built the bike, but it was unbelievable. And I remember we went at the hotel. Willie G's out there, and their head design engineering guy spending hours looking at the bike. They they had lunch with me, wanted to know all about it. And then, and then two years later, Willie G came out with that same bike, and of course it said it was his design. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. A bike, the whole design, 16-inch front wheel, the whole adaptation was ours. Yeah. But but it was that. But for us, it was fun, and and uh, the highest compliment a guy ever paid me at that Sturgis rally is he came through our booth looking booth looking at our stuff, and he goes, "You know what I like about your White Brothers stuff." It doesn't look like your bikes don't look like a magnet drug through pet boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Just every bolting, every accessory you can think of, bolting on or whatever. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. funny. Um, well, Tom, thanks, man. This was fun. I appreciate it. Um, great, great story in the industry. Uh, done a lot of things. Had a lot of fun too along the way. So, and uh, you're still involved heavily in it. It sounds like yeah, like you said, if you want to work for free, there's lots of things for you to do. <laughs> well, thank you, Steve. It is a privilege to be on your show, and I just got to tell you, you know, you get my comments. I just appreciate what you do and the perspective you bring to our sport. It's amazing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. The BTOsports.com, RacerX Podcast, Tom White. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much, Steve. All right, see you. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart, 
There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years.